Welcome to the Steadfast Carlsbad podcast. This morning's message was taken out of our 10 a.m. service. Let's jump right in, and we hope you're encouraged. Thanks for tuning in. So far, we've talked about, um, can you guys do, who's been in the Hall of Faith so far? Who's the first one? Do you guys remember Abel, right? It was Abel, then there was Enoch, and then after Enoch, Noah, and then who did we cover? Abraham, and then last week, it was multiple, like the patriarchs, right? So it was like Isaac, Jacob, part of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then into Joseph uh, and into his life. So now we're looking at Moses. Moses is, there is a lot about Abraham and Moses. Um, and they're kind of like, they have a different, uh, different part of the story. But Moses is a really interesting picture because there's a lot of Christ type and redemption in the book of, of uh, Exodus. Of course, Moses wasn't, wasn't Jesus, and, and we see he failed, and he ended up even eventually not being able to go into the promised land, um, and he made mistakes along the way, but he was called to lead a captive people into freedom, and he met with God and was friends with God and hung out with God and would speak with him a lot and was in his presence a lot, and he was, so his story is really cool, like, and so we can see, uh, you always want to, like, have the example set before you as someone who actually knows what they're doing, right, um, you know, because you, you, there's a million people who will tell you how to do stuff, but you want to make sure that they actually have the credentials, so faith, Moses gets faith, Abraham gets faith, Noah gets faith, it's all, they're, they're, they put their money where their mouth was many times over, so Moses, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. So Moses' faith starts out with the faith of his parents. That's interesting. Uh, of course, he has, he has no control over this, uh, but it does speak to the importance of faith in a family where faith is being exercised and in a very unique and specific and absolutely daring, terrifying way. Real faith has been put to the test. And Moses' life is literally a testimony of faith. That's the only reason he's there. Because what's been going on at this time is that Joseph, if you remember we like left off, Joseph had, uh, he had really blessed Egypt and and. As I'd mentioned, I felt like he was fulfilling that Abrahamic righteousness. His life was set apart. He was honoring God. And everywhere he went, they could see that God was with him. He was full of wisdom. He brought life everywhere he went. He saved countless people from uh, an incoming drought because of his wisdom. And he made, he made the uh, Pharaoh very rich because of trusting in him. So that Pharaoh loved Joseph, loved his family. Joseph dies. He says, guys... We've been blessed here, but we don't belong here. Take my bones and take me to the promised land when I die. Um, and so after, the, after a while, we get to another Pharaoh who does not know Joseph. And the children of Israel have been reproducing like crazy. And so they're sketched out. There's a lot of them. And they are, they're scary. So they're putting them into slavery, and they start deciding to kill off the firstborn males. Was there another time that this happens in Scripture later on, right? Because <laughs> the Messiah. So, the, so there's, there's a lot of these. If you go through it, I mean, I actually wrote a paper on this a couple years ago on, on Exodus and, and the, the story of redemption in Exodus and how amazingly, which just really 
makes the, the, the gospel stand out even more like 3D, you know? Just like it blows your mind. So uh, Moses is born in this time. He's supposed to be killed. He's supposed to be done away with. But by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents. His parents hid him. We also know that there was midwives in on this. And a unique, a unique point to this is that their names are named. The Pharaoh's name is never named. They're the ones that God remembers because uh, it's, it's Shifra and Pua. They, they're, they're able to keep them, you know, the babies alive. And they're saying, well, we'll get there. By the way, Pharaoh, hey, these, uh, you know, Israelite women are way gnarlier than Egyptian women. Like they have the babies before we even get there. So it's like just such a slam. He's like, I know the type of women you know, and these are different types of women. They're just like, they just birth them and we don't even know. They just go, you know. They're off, they're off and running and doing their thing. And so Moses is one of these that's part of that, right? So he ends up, Moses ends up being hidden for three months. And what, what does it say here? Because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. Now, do you know any parents who ever looked at their kids and been like, this one is pretty not good looking? Like, you could say that about somebody else's kid, right? Like, well, you can't say it, but you could think it. You're just like, mm-hmm, yeah. I think we found the aliens, uh, you know, like, uh, whatever. Sorry, they're all beautiful, but at the same time, rough birth, you know? I don't know. Uh, so, but up to a mother, I mean, they pick, they're just like, oh, you're so beautiful. And they're like full of blood, and you're just like, whoa. But there's a, there's a, there's a beholding nature of a, of a mother that's unbelievable. They could just see, oh, I just, I just see it. I love you. You're just so valuable, right? So what's, what's the point here? I mean, is it just that they, they saw and they're like, He's, this is a beautiful child. You should see this is the most beautiful child you've ever seen in your life. Well, every parent thinks that about their kids. We actually get a little bit of insight from Acts chapter 7. Stephen, as he's about to be martyred, gives this address, and he's working through the whole Old Testament. He's working through all of the things that, that God, has, God has shown in so many of the prophets over and over again, his plan and what he's done and how they've been rejected over and over again. And he gives us a little bit of insight into uh, this story. In, in the New King James Version of Acts chap, uh, chapter 7, verse 20, we're going to be looking more at this as we go. It says, at this time Moses was born as, uh, and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. In the CSB, which is the Christian Standard uh, Bible, it's, at this time Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was cared for in the father's home for three months. Months Now, is it that there was something specifically unique about Moses, or was it that there was an Imago Dei image of God that was seen clearly in this child? We don't know for sure. We do know that Moses would be called to do a lot of really crazy, amazing things. But I also think that we're all called to do a lot of amazing, awesome things when we honor God and are seen for what we are, how we are created. Understanding that we're created in, again, the image of God. But the faith that's taking place here is the faith of his parents. 
beautiful in God's sight. So it's not just their sight, beautiful in God's sight. They're seeing it with those eyes, with that lens. This child has value. So we're in a tricky spot when we stop valuing people of all ages. As soon as you stop valuing people, it, 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 it's a very slippery slope. Things get really messy really fast when you start devaluing people's lives. And so I think that's a, a big part of this. His parents saw him, saw he was beautiful in their sight and God's sight. They recognized his value. We know Ephesians um, 2, 10. We are his masterpiece, his poema, created for good works. We're the, we were created, we're his masterpiece. So, and maybe this helps us even a little bit with our identity, understanding who we are. When God looks at us, that's how he sees us. And so whatever you tell yourself about yourself or whatever the world is telling you about yourself, this is the way that God views us as beautiful and with purpose. And that goes for you along with those that you see on the, on the streets, along with those that you completely disagree with. And all the, there's, there's an innate image of God, beauty in humanity that can be used both for great good and great evil. But it's important to understand that it's there. And if we forget that it's there, then we start cutting corners and it gets really messy really fast. So the Pharaoh's out here and he's believing, let's get rid of all these babies. They're, we're done. We don't want nothing, nothing to do with them. Done, whatever. I want them gone. And God says, no, no, that baby has a purpose. That baby has a reason for being here. He's beautiful in my sight. Matter of fact, you have no clue how important this guy is in the story. And his parents recognize that and they're willing to take a very um, gnarly step of faith that could very easily cost them their lives too. Because what does it tell us? They were not afraid of the king's command. There was a higher law, right? And their faith in obedience was met with, we'll see, an unexpected provision. As the story goes, and we'll get by faith when Moses, uh, by faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to call the son of Pharaoh's uh, to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, the context to that is what happens. We're missing some of the story. Moses goes down, you know, the river in his basket full of pitch, which is like, you know, totally covering. It's this is all. It's an ark. <laughs> He's going. It, it's all there, man. It's so crazy. Um. He comes down and he, he's, he's, he's through and Pharaoh's daughter sees him, recognizes he's a Hebrew, but decides to take him in for herself. Uh, Moses' sister is following her and says, hey, do you, any, by the way, do you need someone to nurse that baby? And she's like, yeah, sure, I'll hire someone to you know, do that. And she's like, how about my mom? So they end up raising their own kid. Unexpected provision. Obedience and honoring God above all others. Now, it comes out in unexpected provision. And really, this is what we see in the Old Testament over and over again. When you're obedient, God does something totally crazy. When you trust me, and obedience isn't like just like a discipline, like just, you know, but it's like when you trust God, you fully trust God, and you believe that he's good and he's powerful and that he's able to fulfill his promises, there is a constant, uh, we have constant data 
where he comes through and usually in really wild ways. So uh, you can imagine Moses' parents having this faith and bringing him up in this faith. They're speaking to him all the time they have with him and they're telling him who he is and they're telling him what he's about and they're telling him about Abraham and about Isaac and about Jacob and about everything that they've been through and what it means to be an Israelite, what it means to be part of that big plan. And so Moses is given this this beginning, this foundation, and then he's going to go and be raised in the house of Pharaoh by his daughter. We see here, verse 24, it says, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He had an odd story. He had a, he had a really mixed up identity. Can you relate? You don't know who you are. You don't, it may be like your family lineage is really hard to figure out. It's hard to know where you belong or how you belong. You feel like you're in between cultures. You feel like you're in between people and generations. And, and you kind of feel like you're lost in the mix. I, I feel like Moses was that guy. Matter of fact, when he ends up eventually escaping Egypt, um, he meets his wife and, and brings it back to his dad. And she says, hey, check out this Egyptian I met. And Moses doesn't even correct her. He's just like, okay, I guess I'm an Egyptian today. Like, it seems like he had like kind of lost his identity somewhat at that point. Didn't know where he belonged. Knew he didn't belong in Egypt. But also, as we'll see, there's issues with the Israelites as well. So he was raised by her, and there's a lot of perks to being part of that. Um, he was living in the palace, but he did he refused to deny who he really was. There was there was issues there, and we boy do we ever understand that we're living in a world where we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. And so it's really hard when everyone around you is grasping onto identity in here on earth and all the things of earth, and you just there's part of you that just wants to fit in. And so there's this, there's this thing where you feel like, ah, I feel like I'm always on the outside of this. And then, then you have like or the family of faith where I, I follow Jesus wholeheartedly. And yet the, the allure of the outside and the, the lust of the flesh is still calling us. And you feel like, ah, I feel like I can't fully belong anywhere. This is, this is where we can be so easily. Especially you come to follow Jesus, you become a fence sitter. You know, it's easy to do. To live one foot in, one foot out, which of course we know doesn't really work. But Acts chapter 7, again, tells us more of the story. Acts chapter 7, we'll read through uh, verses 20 through 25. Stephen says, At this time Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. So he was brought up by Pharaoh's daughter. He was given the best education. He had been given everything that he could possibly need in this culture to thrive. He had power. He had wisdom. He was educated in their world. Verse 23, now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his, that his brother would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand. 
but they did not understand. So 40 years later, he senses a calling to his people. And he's like, those are my people. And they're like looking at him and they're like, bro, you live in the palace. You're not our people. Like, you're not one of us. Like, we might have the same bloodlines, but you're not one of us. And Moses is sensing that God is calling him to redeem and restore and, and rescue these people. There's a sense of this, that maybe there's been a pro- prophecy, whatever. He's been, he's come to believe that he's going to have a part and a role in this. And so what's the first thing he does when he has a shot? He gets out there and he's like, I have a longing for my people. I'm going home. I'm going to go be with my people. You know, like this is, this is where I belong. It's like an Ancestry.com commercial, you know. I'm found out. I'm, you know, 16% Finnish. I'm going home. Okay. You look on a map. Where is Finland? Exactly. Or I'm Danish. Awesome, you know. Or I'm Dutch. Oh, I'm going to go to Solvang. People say, no, that's Danish, you know. I am Dutch. So, sore subject, you know. But this is where, this is where you go... Dude, great, great. You feel like you're longing to come home. And so he gets there and he sees an Egyptian dealing harsh with him and he knows that God has a calling on his life and what's the way that he is enabling or or going after this calling in his life to redeem the people? What does he do? Yeah, so what is that a result of? An act of what? The flesh. I'm going to fulfill my calling in the flesh. I know I've been called to do it. I sense that God has called this to my, and he thinks he's gonna go down as a hero. Like, check it out. That's our boy Moses. Did you see when he showed up, bodies hit the floor. That's our guy. You know, like Moses is, he's down, dude. He's one of us. I saw him kill another Egyptian. What ends up, and they did not understand it because it wasn't spiritual at all. There was a calling that God had on his life, and I actually think this is something we all uh, need to be really careful of. There are things that God calls us to, specifically, like I've created you for this. You've been made for this. The way you tick is perfect for this. Like your mind, the way it works, the way you organize your life, the things you do. This is yours. This is for you to do. And you go, yes, I love that calling. I'm going for it. And then you do it in the flesh. It's easy, so easy to do. But what we gotta understand is the God who calls is also the God that empowers. It's the God that makes the way. It's the God that does the preparation. It's the God that does it all. He's the one that that redeems. He's the one that brings forth fruit and harvest in due season. We are the branches. He is the vine. And so Moses, equipped with a vision of what he's supposed to do, goes out and tries it in the flesh. What's the results? Disastrous. They do not understand. And then he comes out again, and he's thinking, oh, here's my people. And there's an argument amongst them, and they're like, what are you going to do? Kill us like you kill that Egyptian? Now words out. This is, he killed an Egyptian, but not in a good way. We're not, we're not down with you at all. 
And so he's like, I gotta get out of here. So what does he do? He flees. Now, the calling is still on his life. He's probably all but forgotten about it. He's a man on the run. He doesn't know what's coming next. This is where he, he's in Midian and he meets his, his wife and that's where he doesn't even call himself an, you know, an Israelite. He's an Egyptian. And, and I, mean, I, can, I, I can completely resonate with this. God calls you, you feel like you're in, all of a sudden you fall flat on your face and you don't even know who you are anymore. And you start to think, I'm done, I missed the boat. But what we don't see often and what we we really need to be reminded of is when you hit the floor, this is sometimes the beginning of the starting of where God is gonna do what he's gonna do because first we gotta be out of the way. We can't be so confident in ourselves. It's, it can't be something that you build. If you build it, you've got to maintain it. If, it, if you're the one that did it, you've you got to keep, oh, with my great wisdom and my great planning and my great leadership abilities. It's like, that is an exhausting task to keep up long-term. When God does it, he has to keep doing it, which for him, no problem. He's got the whole omni thing, right? <laughs> Omnipotence, omnipresence, uh, you know, all omniscience. He's, he got it all going on. We don't. We're, we're finite. We're, we're dealing with laws of limits. I, I need to sleep at night. So do you. If the work needs to get done, you know what? Sometimes the best thing you do is actually, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna go to sleep right now. And so I don't have to redo it all tomorrow anyway because I was working exhausted. We were born with limits. That's why God set up Sabbath. You guys need to rest. You're not God. I'm God. I'm going to take care of this for you. So Moses is broken, um, tries to fulfill it in the flesh, does not go well, but he does recognize that he is not part of Pharaoh's family. Now, uh, that might be like, okay, yeah, of course, that makes sense. But verse 25 reminds us, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Here's the choice. Moses chooses rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. He chooses to go the hard way and did not, I mean, he had it like cush life, man, easy. And to go against that would mean the, going the exact opposite. You know how hard that is to do? I mean, any inconvenience at all? He was never comfortable in that house. You know, and even though it was the path of least resistance, it was, you know, chill. You know, like me just like, let me just chill, cruise through these days. It talks about the passing pleasures of sin. Sin, uh, if you don't think there's pleasures in sin, I mean, we know there are, but they're passing. Sin is nice for a season. Like for a season, it it, it produces. Um, The crazy thing is, never as much as the first time. It just just keeps, I, I mean, not to harp on this issue, but like we see this, really prevalent in like drug use. Like you're chasing the first high, right? And so then you get into harder and harder and harder and harder, and then you're trying to feel normal. And now your, your body like is sick when you're not 
This, this is a, and we, we all go, oh my goodness, what a horror, you know, that's just a really rough road to go down. But that is exactly what sin is to us. And some sins look more noble than others or less, are less out there than others. But it's the same thing. They're all fleeting. They're all short. They don't last long. And the end leaves you more hungry than the beginning. More thirsty than the beginning. Like it, it leaves you more desperate and depleted without purpose, without value. And you'll do anything for it. So sin, nice for a season, but what are the long-term results? There's certain foods that I, I know if I eat them, I'm going to feel bad. You know, it used to be there were none of those foods. It was, or maybe I just felt bad all the time. I don't know. But there's certain foods I know I'm going to pay the price for that. And you go, it just sounds so good. I'm just, I just got to eat that food. You know, I took Jacob to a Tommy's burger when he was in high school, changed his life, you know. I know if I eat Tommy's, there will be effects from that. There is a cause and effect. There is a reaction from this. And so you go, okay, that Tommy chili burger sounds so good right now. And then you eat it and you go, while you're eating it, it's even better than I thought. Oh, and then afterwards you're like, probably didn't need the chili cheese fries too right? That might have been a little much. And then by the time you get home, you're like, the whole thing was a little much. Like the, the thing was a little much. You're like, I wish I wouldn't have even eaten there today. And then by like, you know, the next morning, you're like, I'm never eating there again until I drive by it again. And then I have it again. You know the result. And not to say the Tommy's is a sin because I don't think it is. I, I don't think it is. But this is called justification. No, okay. But you go, this is, this is, there's a result to this. And what tastes good for now, I have to weigh it out. What's this going to be like later? What's the result? I mean, is it worth it? Yes. Sin, though, it's, it's way worse than that. It's just this is delicious, wonderful food. Yes, John knows. John has showed up here before with a stack of them. When they opened in Kearney Mesa or Claremont Mesa or whatever. Oh, yeah. All right. Now I kind of want it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Lord, help me. Um, but the pleasures of sin, they're fleeting. And, and, and so what does he do, though? What, how, what's, his, what's his response to this? Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than treasures in Egypt. Esteeming. Now, a lot of times we've been talking about how we, when we think of faith, we think of faith in faith. Like, I just believe I can do it, doggone it. You know? Or, you know, I, I would pitch in an adult league after our high school and I pitched in college for a little bit. And there was one team that was full of all ex-pros, minor leaguers, couple major leaguers. And they were using the hottest bats known to man before regulations. Like 2001, 2002, these bats were insane. And they just destroyed us because they were straight off like the miners, you know? And so uh, and I remember I was going out there one day and I'm like, I'm pitching against these guys. And I wrote, you know, in my hat, I've, I've said this before, but I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Told you, brand new Christian at this time, okay? 
I'm going to do this. And I went out there and got absolutely destroyed. And I threw my hat down. Lord, where were you? You know. It's not like some weird faith in faith or, or like whatever where I can just name and claim whatever I want it to be. It's an esteemed faith. And I think it has to do probably with somewhat of, Moses, do you know your story of origin? Do you know where you came from? Do you know that you are a miracle? Do you know that God made a way when there was no way? So he esteemed that it would be better to suffer for God than to enjoy the treasures of this world. That's a choice, but it's an educated choice. It's not just like a choice without any thinking about it. And that's where Christians get a bad name where we don't really, they don't think we think things through. You, we better think things through. Some of the greatest intellectuals of all time were believers. The idea, a lot of the early science came from believers. Hospitals were built by believers. Like we are the ones that are supposed to be the most thoughtful and thought provoking because we're connected to the living God. So it's not some weird, let me get out of it, let me go to a mystical place and believe in faith. It's like, it is a, a rooted faith. That's what Moses had. He's esteeming that the God that he'd heard about, what he had done with Abraham, what he'd done with Isaac, what he had done with Jacob, what he had done with Joseph, what he had done in his own life, he esteemed it. I would rather be on this guy's team, even if we're losing, than on that team, and we've got all the riches of winning. So because he looked, and he looked forward for the reward. That's the other thing. Sin is all here now, 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 now. And there's a lot of things we know. If I started it today and I was consistent, I would, there would be great gains two years from now. But there's less of a draw to do that than what I could make myself feel good in 20 minutes. And this is where we have to train ourselves to think beyond the, the temporal quick reward. And look beyond that. We're dealing with that with one of my kids. He, he I just said him. So anyway, but he wanted to. He's got. He had some money burning a hole in his pocket. And I was like, dude, you're gonna want that money, man. I'm telling you, you're gonna want that one day. Don't just buy something. No, you're gonna want that. You're gonna want that. And he's like, what? There's nothing I would want. And you're like, right? Until there is something you would want, right? And then all of a sudden, a sale came up for an A2000 Wilson glove, a good one, forty percent off. And he had some money. He was able to get it. Aren't you glad you didn't burn that on like whatever, you know, whatever you would burn up pixie sticks and fun dip or something? Not really, but like that kind of a thing. That, but that's when we're instilling in our kids, it is actually important to have a longer vision. Because what does Moses have? He's looking to what? He looked to the reward. And the reward you might not even see here on earth. Moses actually never got to see the actual full-on reward, which I think is interesting. Because Moses doesn't even argue with God when he's told he's not going to go in the promised land. I think the conclusion Moses came to is we see it with the gold calf, we see it with these different, is that the reward for him is just God being with him. And I, if it doesn't mean I get to get the promised land, I don't get all of the rewards I think I might have gotten on earth, things didn't go exactly how I planned, it's okay, I'm, God's still with me. Even though I missed out on some of the blessings, I still got the greatest blessing. He's with me. God is in the camp. 
Because if he was like, this is unfair. We know Moses said stuff to God that was like, hey, you know what? If you bail on us, everyone's going to say that you're not who you said you were. If you bail on us, they're all going to go, see? He, he left his people. He hung them out to dry. You, you promised. Remember, you promised. And God's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, I'll keep that promise. So it's not like Moses had a problem with that. But I think he was okay with it in some sense. Like, hey, look, I know unbelief. I wasn't able to get all that I could have possibly gotten. My life hadn't equated to every blessing it could have possibly equated to. But I am just so happy to have your presence here. Because remember, with the golden calf, he's like, I'd rather not go into the promised land. If you don't come with us, I'm not going anywhere. God's like, go to the promised land without me. No, the promised land isn't the promised land without your presence. You have to be with me. So even the things we think are the rewards, the value, you find out the journey is the big thing. And that's, isn't that life? We're always looking at the next step, the next stage, once we can finally get to this place, once we can finally get to this place. And you realize it was all the days in between. There was no actual place. And it was the days in between. Those were the beautiful days you remember, that you loved, that you cherished, that you wish you would have been more intentional about at that time. So this is an intelligent decision based on what he knows about God. It's a worthy and wise investment to trade treasures in Egypt for the riches of suffering for the Lord. So, yeah. He looked forward to those. He valued, he valued reproach for Christ over the riches of Egypt, or the treasures of Egypt. He looked to the reward. He valued honoring God even with persecution. And he was brought up like that. It was faith that brought before faith. If you, if you do see radical faith in your life, you trust God and you watch him provide, your kids are watching. They get to see it too. They get to be a part of it too. It's like where none of us are in a vacuum. That's the beautiful thing about community. That's the beautiful thing about church together. None of us are in a vacuum. We all can bolster and help each other's faith. Verse 27, by faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. He knew what the king was capable of. He knew what the Pharaoh was capable of, but he listened to God. He honored the invisible over the visible, but he also saw the invisible, the burning bush, you know, glimpses of the invisible. Like, here, you, here's what you get, you know? Or, or show me your glory. Like, let me see your face. And God's like, here, you can, you can catch a little bit of my glory. So he'd seen enough of the invisible to know that what he had seen was greater than the king that he grew up next to. Verse 28, by faith, he kept the Passover in the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. So he was, uh, had full faith, allegiance, trust in what God had set forth as a provision, the Passover. He believed it. It's the only way. You know, that's one of the, the issues people have with Christianity. You say it's the only way. And, and if, it becomes really simple when you look at the Passover. You go like, thank God there's a way. 
Like you're not looking at it like this is restrictive. This is freeing, not restriction. This is freedom. And you can choose to use it. You have a choice. But the, but the provision, it's set up a certain way. And this is how it happens. And thank God Moses did it that way because, of course, God came through. But also, it's part of the bigger picture. So then we look at the Passover, and then we see Jesus at the Last Supper going, hey, guys, you know the whole Passover thing? He's like, me. It's me. You know how you guys have kept this the whole time? You, you didn't just keep it. It was good you did it, and you remembered how God provided. But, guys, it was a primer. It was a setup. Ta-da! I am the lamb. It's my blood. I was reading through um, Exodus, because I've been trying to read through concurrently with all the, uh, as we're doing this, I'm reading through the stories. And even like down to when they're killing the animals, they're not supposed to break the legs, right? The other two prisoners' legs are broken. Jesus, they don't break his legs. It's just like, God just gives us these Easter eggs everywhere all over the Old Testament, pointing to his faithfulness and the future provision. And then when the provision comes, it's like, what? The faithfulness leads to the provision now, answer to prayer now, also a testimony and a witness for the future. It's all upside because God is the greatest author of all time He's writing a beautiful story that's so much more complex than any of us could ever imagine. That's why when we go, God, I need to know why, he's like, honestly, you can't even understand it. You're not, you're not even on my level. Like, have you ever seen a really complex math equation and it's so complex it actually looks simple? You're like, this is easy. I'll just remove all the, le all the letters. Two plus six is eight, <laughs> got it, you know? And you see all these, oh, th what's this little one doing there? That one's too small, you're out, you know? You sort of get someone who understands complex equations, someone who's, who is like a, you know, a beautiful savant brain that can understand these kind of things. They go, no, and you start breaking it down, you're like, that is not what I had for my answer. You have to show your work, you know? Here's my work. A lot of things crossed out. Two plus six. And what do you get from this is, is that there are complexities that normal minds can't even possibly comprehend. And that is actually a good thing. Why is that a good thing? Because we want a God that is beyond our comprehension, that chooses to let us know him, but he's inexhaustible. We can't know him fully. And the story he's writing and telling, if we have any glimpses of that from the Old Testament, I mean, it is unbelievable how well it all works together. And, and then what's the image of the invisible God? Jesus. And he's telling parables. And there's stories, but there's stories with depth on depth on depth that are able to reach around the firewall of our hearts and hit us and go, you're the man, you're the guy. We talked about a couple weeks about Nathan. You're that guy to David. So by faith, which is trusting in a God he's deemed to be trustworthy, so trustworthy that he's willing to give up 
all the riches in the world, all the power and esteem in the world, because he's so trustworthy, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch him. This was the way. Again, emphasis. There's a lot of emphasis on firstborn. Firstborn child, firstborn, the first fruit, the importance of your best, your first, the most, because the first is the one that's like, you love all your kids the same for sure, but you have the most pictures of the first kid because there's no more pictures you could possibly take than that first one because it's just like, and there's, when you have two kids, you don't have as much time for pictures now. And there's pictures of two kids, not just one, right? But the first is there's something about the intentionality, the intensity, the awaiting. The first kid comes, you're like, okay, is the room ready? Probably not, you know. We've got everything we would possibly need. No, you don't. Second kid comes, you're like, we'll figure it out. You know, man-to-man defense. Third one comes, we are in a zone, you know. Hopefully the older one can kind of help raise the youngest one, you know. You're in charge of them now. But the firstborn was a big deal, right? So firstborn, firstborn child, first fruit, firstborn overall creation, Jesus, the preeminence of Christ. Verse 29, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Here's again up against a sketchy situation. What were the babies done, done to the babies? How would they kill them? Throw them in the river. They would be throwing them in the river, right? They'd kill them. And so now, Moses, his whole life has been about this, right? Because he, he was the kid that was up against the water and he should die. And now he's, it's an unlikely deal, but there's faith and there's trust that God had a bigger plan than this and that he didn't bring him here just to die. And so by faith, he's put out in the water on something that keeps him dry and he gets on the other side. Now, we have the provision of the dry land. Again, they're caught up, completely stuck and they're looking and they don't know how it's gonna work. Again, unexpected provision. Just like Miriam, his sister, saying, hey, do you, need, uh, do you need someone to raise this kid, by the way? I know someone. It's also his mom. Again, they're looking for unexpected provision. But it's faith that builds on faith and trust. God, you, because of past faithfulness. Faith that's built on past faithfulness. And now the Egyptians are going to get to see what it means to have Yahweh fight for you. Some of the crazy things is if you get into all the like plagues and stuff, it was God like directly mocking the gods of their day. He was like taking their gods and just absolutely destroying them, showing he had control over the things that they would worship, all the stuff that they had deemed sacred. He was showing you, I'm a God above all gods. And now he's gonna show it mightier than ever. They're up against the edge backed up to an immovable evil force against an immovable, uh, immovable object and an evil force coming at them. It allows God to make a way where there was none. 
man, there's, we should have so much excitement that we get to join in the mission of God, that we get to be part of what he's doing. Because none of this is like, oh, I'm gonna, now I'm going to go off and have faith like Moses. If we think the point is to become people that have faith like Moses, it, it was built, again, through relationship. What do we see over and over again? Moses is a friend of God. Enoch walked with God. Noah walked with God. Abraham and God are tight. There's just like relationship everywhere. Joseph knows the Lord. He doesn't want to dishonor him in anything. Because there's a relationship that's based off of this. And so the faith is based off of a relationship and a benevolent God who is, when seen clearly, deemed absolutely able, capable to do more than we could ever imagine and to bring us through impossible circumstances. Of course, the, the story of the Red Sea parting and there's dry land and they go through and then all of a sudden, as soon as they're through, believing what God has done, here comes the waters. And it takes out a mighty portion of a mighty army. God says, just, just look at what I'll do if you believe me when I tell you stuff. And Moses, when you trust me, I will fulfill the dream that's in you, the thing that I made you to do, that you knew you were supposed to do, that in your flesh almost got you, almost ruined everything. But now you've been broken. Now you've, been, you've hit rock bottom and now you're able again to be used. And so he is used. We're, all, we're a lot like Moses in that sense, where we know God's called us to something more than what this world gives us, to more of the fleeting passion. We know this, whether we know specifically what it is or not, but we know we're made for something greater than this. And so trying to find it any other way than simply coming to him and saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then doing the thing he asks us to do is foolish because if he's the one that's begun it, he's faithful to complete it. And we're constantly bombarded by choices, fleeting pleasures that entice our senses from every angle. Like we're always, we're always up against that. The cheap fix, the cheap you know, sugar rush, the cheap whatever. The cheap high. The Lord wants us to be part of something that's sustainable that lasts for generations, that leaves a legacy of faith, that inspires the next generation to go even further than we did because they saw what God could do and now they believe that he could do even more. But it's simply submitting to the fact that God has already done miracles in our lives to bring us to the place where he's shown us our need for Jesus Christ and that Jesus came and died and rose again and then he ascended into, he ascended into the, to heaven and that he's coming back again one day. And the age we're in now is the church age where we are called as soldiers to obey, abide, believe, and trust in him in relationship that he wants to do way more in our lives than we could ever drum up on our own. It's not that our views are, or our, our ambitions are too high, they're too low. Jesus makes a way. We want to join in what he's doing in salvation, in mission, in purpose, in life. We are called with value. So whoever you are, whatever much value you have for yourself, recognize that God sees you with value. Are you a Moses? Who knows? But God sees you with value. You're his workmanship created for good works that he set out before us. And you're made for this moment. You're made for this moment. We need to be reminded of this every week. 
We were made for this time in this political environment, in this country, in this state. Don't run from your calling. Trust God, believe him, and say, Lord, where can I exercise faith? Where have you called me to trust you when it seems impossible or to go and do the things that didn't seem likely and to follow you and honor you even when it makes no sense from a worldly perspective? Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to join us in person, head over to steadfastcarlsbad.com for more info. God bless.